Hey, and welcome to the Comacast. I'm your co-host, Cody. Hey, everyone. I'm Matt here, and we're glad you're joining us for another episode of the Comacast. That's right, Matt. It's where we dive into the lives of LGBT individuals whose crime cases have gone cold. But today, we're going to have a special episode. We're going to be discussing the murder of Matthew Shepard. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to the Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. So we are back. So we just want to real quick make a quick note. I know it's the topic of everything, and so we don't really want to spend a lot of time on it, but the coronavirus situation that's happening here in the United States and around the world. Um, since our last episode, things have really intensified. Uh, there's a lot of closures happening on a larger scale all across the country. We have the NBA who canceled their season. That ultimately caused an avalanche of other closures around the country. We have theme parks closed through the end of the month at a minimum. That does include Disney World, Disneyland. Now, it's been a really crazy time in America that most people never thought could happen here. Now, that does include some work closures, and those people, a lot of them are moving to remote work, working at home. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody, though. There's a lot of jobs that can't be done remote, like those who are working in the restaurant industry, those who are working on in the arts world, on Broadway, which is now closed, even those who are working in the convention industry. Now, in an upcoming episode, we'll be talking about the ramifications of just what the results are from this pandemic hitting the United States. We won't really like linger on the, the virus itself, but kind of what the effects of it are happening to everyday people here in the United States and what that means for them making ends meet in their daily life. Now, that being said, if this is affecting your work or you've lost work because of the virus, let us know. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe have you join in and discuss the situation that's happening. Uh, Just message us. Let us know. Also, as always, remember to wash those hands, practice social distancing, try to stay at least six feet away from everyone if possible. No handshaking, probably not elbow bumping either because you're getting within six feet of people. The main point, we just want to flatten that curve and help everybody out. We want to ask this question. I'm going to ask this to you and then we'll both talk about it. But we want you also to answer this. So we'll uh, tweet this out and we want to hear your responses. We want to interact with you. We'll tweet it out. We'll put it on Facebook. uh, Because we'd love to hear what you think about this. But, Matt, um, there's this whole thing like when you're a kid. And it's basically, it's like this phrase, like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. Because like, if you're a kid, you go in the candy store, you get like really excited and like your eyes get big and you just get so happy and you, you go crazy and you go wild, basically. So what gives you that kid in a candy store feeling? So I did have the opportunity. uh, We went to Hawaii in August and that was, we went to Oahu. We have friends that live there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, who is actually Hawaiian and was, you know, took us around. He drove for us. You know, we didn't have to use Uber or anything. So I felt like we got, we got to experience it more from like the perspective of somebody who actually lives there versus like the tourist. And that was a fantastic experience. Like that's kind of, that's kind of like my go-to place mentally. Um, when I'm, when I try to write or when I'm working on something or I get stuck, my other one is, um, I think we talked about before I'm writing this book. Uh, 
I've, I've learned, I've really been practicing like self-love this last year and a half, two years. And when I think about writing, I think about scenarios and scenes and I've plotted it out to be four books and I'm three, I'm almost three quarters of the way through book one. And that actually makes me really, really excited. I don't talk about it often because I feel like I just yeah. go off on it, but it makes me really, really happy to talk about uh, writing and other people's writings and what they're doing because I know how excited it makes me. So when someone's doing something like like a project they're passionate about, I really like to hear about it. Like, like I always will talk to Cody about like whatever he's doing if he wants to tell me because I think, I don't know, it's something really exciting when your friends are thriving and like when you're talking to them, you know, their eyes light up, they get really happy and, you know, I feel like you get to see their authentic self more whereas yeah. most of us don't like to share that because it makes you vulnerable. You know, it is sharing something about yourself that people can be really cruel about, you know, you can share something you think is just amazing and it just makes your whole world spin and people are like, that's dumb. <laughs> and if you're not really in a place to handle that kind of feedback, it can make you feel like, Oh, is it dumb? And, you know, you start to question yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So we put me out there. So how about you, Cody? <laughs> so my kid in a candy store feeling would be anytime that I am around or have access to animals Okay, so I thought you were gonna. Um, <laughs> that the, was one of my guesses. Yes, because uh, yeah, baby because goat pictures. <laughs> every time I'm around an animal, where it's a dog, a cat, a goat, um, a plant. camels, um, I don't know. The list goes on and on. But I always send like selfies with me and the animal uh, to Matt, and so they're super like, cute. He gets like, so many pictures of me with like random cats when I'm out because like yeah. I don't know how you always find random cats and they always take pictures with you. And it's it's super cute. I actually took a video. I went to have coffee at my neighbor's house yesterday and she has the most they have the most adorable pup. He was she was a stray that they rescued and she doesn't like the camera. So you, when mm. you're petting her, it's really hard to take pictures of her because she gets yeah. stressed about the camera. But she let me take a video and picture and I meant to show it to you yesterday. Yeah, but, we were at um, it, a party the other day and it was it was a sad party, but um it was about a party for a dog that was going to be put down, but they had a party for their dog to celebrate it. And all the dogs, some other dogs came and it was kind of a celebration of his life. And, um, I, I was taking pictures with all the animals there, all the dogs. And one of the dogs really didn't want to take, like, he was like, like wild, always like going around and like happy, just like a happy dog. But he was always wanting to be around me. He would like grab my hand and pull my hand over. And it was like the sweetest thing. I've never had a dog do that really. Like I would like pet him, then put my hand down and the dog would like grab my hand and pull it back towards him. And I was like, That's oh, so sweet. my heart melted. But he would take pictures with me. It was the sweetest thing. I love, I love um, animals. So that is my totally kid in a candy store feeling anytime i can be where there's animals i'm like let's do this so yeah uh those are uh kid in a candy store feelings and what makes us have that kid in a candy store feeling we want you to let us know what your kid in a candy store feeling is go to twitter answer now go to facebook answer there let us know and we'll we might read them next week or at another point in time because i'm sure they're gonna be like great that. i'm sure they're I'm gonna be great worst. i really appreciate so today we're going to be talking about Matthew Wayne Shepard. Now, he was a gay American student. Uh, he was going to the University of Wyoming. Um, and as some people know, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that many 
people these days actually don't know who he was. But Matthew uh, was beaten, he was tortured, and he was left near to die near Laramie uh, on the night of October 6, 1998. Now, he was still alive uh, when he was found, and he was taken to the hospital uh, where he died six days later from the severe head injuries that occurred. Um, But Matthew Shepard and the murder and everything kind of surrounding it is something that kind of changed America. Like... If you if we're looking like at plot points over a period of time when it comes to LGBT uh, topics and LGBT rights, this was kind of a big turning point in time. Um, we're going to have a, another episode in the future that is going to kind of talk about this and kind of what led to some of these changes. And a lot of it leads to just who Matthew Shepard was. Um and being uh, like an all-American kind of guy. But his death did change kind of the outlook and the perspective on things, especially right uh, when his murder had happened. But going forward, it really has changed America. Uh, Matt, this is a really difficult topic. And uh, as I was mentioning, we think everybody knows about Matthew Shepard. Now, I was like, I think I was 14. And so you were like, probably like 12. When this happened. Uh So yeah, I would have just turned 12 a few months prior. We had a little bit of an awareness. I think Uh, obviously, like, if you're a 14 year old, you don't have a super big awareness about it. But over time, um, there's been many things that have happened that have brought uh, his life kind of more to the forefront you know that we there's been plays that have been happening and of course we have the matthew shepherd foundation and so as we grew older some of these things started happening the laramie project kind of was a big thing when i was in college um so we kind of knew about who matthew shepherd was but as you were talking about you found that there are people who don't really know anything about it, about him Right. And it kind of surprised me. Um, You know, for example, we talked about doing this. So most of the episodes we do are unsolved crimes. And I, we thought about doing um, this episode for kind of more of a one off because it technically is a solved crime. It's a horrible crime. Um, But in just keeping with focusing on unsolved um, crimes and also, you know, we wanted to share information and there is a lot of information available for for Matthew Shepard. And um, I, I was discussing it with David. Um, it just kind of, I've, I bounce ideas off of him, you know, because as kind of the average listener, he's always really honest with me about critique and thoughts and such. And I, I take that into to consideration and I was just kind of talking about it. And I think a couple minutes into the conversation, he was like, you know, I don't, who are you talking about? Should I know this person? And it completely like just blew my mind. He's a few years younger than he's four years younger than I am. So, you know, of course, you know, as a teenager, I remember being on the news, but as I got older, of course I saw specials. I, it was, it was in the news more and, you know, I came to know gay people and then, you know, at 19, 18, 19, I realized I was gay and came out and then, of course, learned more about it as just just being a part of the community. But I realized as people are getting older that the younger younger generation, you know, the rising generation, they don't know. And I think that's actually, I don't want to say normal, but 
it's like learning history and sometimes there's a lot happening and it's very easy to miss one more case if it's not something you saw um i remember seeing it you know like our current generation they're going to remember pulse they're going to remember some of these landmark crimes of their time yeah i think you know mentioning that you know we think of like 9-11 like that was a really right. big thing time in our lives. I was a senior in high school and you just take for granted that people, Oh, know about that. But there are kids these days who weren't even alive when that happened. And you, you could say something about it and they'd be like, huh, what? Like, and right. that was something that changed America like big time overnight. Uh, and there, you know, obviously there's legislation and different things that still reverberate of how American life um, is lived yet they don't know about it. So in this case, you know, it's another one of those things where it was a big thing and something that kind of really did change the course of LGBT rights uh, to a point. But as you're saying, a lot of people really just have no idea uh, about it. It's also kind of the same thing about Stonewall. There's a lot of people who don't know anything about Stonewall and the history surrounding that. You know, they they know, some people may know just like the phrasing or the word Stonewall, but they may not know the whole details of it and uh how we talked about in the episode with marcia johnson um but yeah so matthew shepard uh he was born in uh casper wyoming uh, in 1976 um he did have a younger brother and they two had a really close relationship i would say you know looking uh at his younger life that uh, matthew had i guess i would say he had somewhat of a privileged privilege life. His uh, parents, uh, in 1994, his dad got a job with Saudi Aramco. Uh, that's the oil uh, company, state-owned oil company in Saudi Arabia. And they moved. And uh, Matthew Shepard attended uh, American school in Switzerland during that time. He graduated in 1995. Uh, he took theater. He took German, Italian courses. Then he went on to attend um, some college, uh, attending University of Wyoming in Laramie, where he minored in language. So he was really involved in kind of that world. He obviously had lived in Switzerland and had that time. And then he had taken these language courses, got really involved in like politics. And he he was an overall, overall well-rounded um, young man who... Um, was very liked by his friends you know a lot of his classmates have said since after his death looking back on his life um that he was just a friendly classmate someone that you kind of loved being friends with but despite all of that and like kind of being able to have somewhat of a privileged life you know going to the school in switzerland and being able to take these extracurricular classes and learning languages he you know even at a young age was targeted or teased um due to his small stature um and he wasn't really athletic so obviously we know that like in high school you know you can if you're if you're like i grew up and i was when i was in high school and junior high um i never really was bullied um thankfully but i was really small like super super small so like i can kind of like see that happening and it does happen um and it happens a lot like with young gay kids who 
who are smaller, who aren't athletic, who have different aspirations or enjoyments than your everyday people. So, well, and it can even mean when you are athletic, if you become a target, whether or not you know you're gay, if your classmates suspect it, whether even whether it's true or not, a lot of times you can kind of get pushed out of that or begin to overcompensate by being more aggressive, working out really hard and getting big to kind of yeah. push back against those stereotypes. And it affects every single person differently. Exactly. Like it's what we mentioned in our uh, episode talking about Aaron Hernandez, about some of the NFL football players offer also, you know, joining football, overcompensating, um, doing all that. So it's something obviously that he dealt with when he was younger, uh, when he was going through high school in his freshman and junior years. Uh, He obviously, as we were mentioning, went to University of Wyoming. There are reports that he did get involved in some ways with drugs during his time in college. And all of this is kind of a a result of the fact that he was actually raped um, on a a trip. He had been raped um, going back to a high school trip, actually, in Morocco in 1995. So obviously he had been living with that. So now that he's like at college, you know, he's experiencing a little bit more freedom, a different kind of life. And that is something that still haunts him. And it's something that we've, we talk about in in previous episodes of these traumas that may occur, whether they're traumas that happen to you, or you're just a part of that, they can kind of linger on for months or for years. And that's obviously something that had happened in this case, that had caused him to get really depressed. Right. The physical scars and the physical pain does go, you know, that generally will pass barring a permanent injury, but the mental scars, you know, as we learned when talking with Eric, you know, as he shared with us, it's been two years and he still, it's in his head, you know, it's been two years and he's just now, and he, he's older than Matthew was at the time, you know, so, and to be on a high school trip and having to experience a violent assault and rape and then have to live with that and learn to try to overcome it. It's hard. And, you know, mental health services aren't, they are there, but they are not promoted, you know, and we're talking about, we have to remember, we're also talking about 1995, you know, we're talking about at the time he would have been, uh, you know, what all of 20 ish. Yeah. He had been very young. You know, he'd been a very young adult, late teenager, and that's traumatic. That's traumatic to a grown adult with access to health insurance and mental health services, let alone to be so young and deal with such a violent trauma, and then that just haunts you. And it's very common, unfortunately, uh, that people will turn to something to escape from it, which can be, you know, drugs, it could be high-risk behavior. Some people turn inward, It, it, and this is appears to be how it affected him directly yeah for sure he obviously had dealt with this and living with this over all these years and he had had his family he was really uh, his family seemed pretty close-knit um so he wasn't someone who was kind of like ostracized and so he did have that family uh kind of backup so once he got to college you know he had that a little bit more freedom uh experiencing maybe some different things that he hadn't experienced in his uh, you know, growing up life, being, having access to different opportunities, and then obviously not having your family there as kind of like that backbone. And some of his friends did talk about how th- that depression 
uh, uh, resulted in him, they believe, you know, kind of getting into this, some drugs. Uh, he did, um, was hospitalized a few times due to his clinical depression and his suicidal uh, um, ideas. But aside from that, he he was living his life and he did have those aspirations, those political aspirations and those aspirations of kind of just being out there and being a public figure um, despite being gay. You know, he, I, I think, I think, you know, looking at that, that's something, you know, despite having been raped and having to deal with that and the depression at that, with that, he still had that idea that, that being gay wasn't going to stop him. You know, he did have those aspirations at some point for going, going forward. But I think it would surprise a lot of people who aren't gay that gay is a part of our life. For example, being gay, it's not the only thing about me. You know, like I have blue eyes, I'm gay, but it is a part of me. It is, it is who I am. It is, I don't want to say a personality trait. People like to say, blah, blah, blah is not a personality trait, but being gay does define a lot of my actions and it defines a lot of what I do and don't do. And, you know, to be so young and to be, it also, you know, again, it's 1995, the same protections and rights don't exist. You know, you know, it's like many people I've come into contact with when I do discuss cases or these subjects come up, Oh, just report them to the police. Um, okay. Well, that can really depend officer to officer. Some are the most caring, kind people in the world that really just want to serve and protect the people they they went to work for and others do not care they're they are people too and people are good and bad are capable of good and bad so on the night of october 6th 1998 um matthew shepherd was approached by two individuals aaron mckinney and russell hernandez now we know their name because obviously we're going to find out in just a minute that they were the ones who were caught and they were the ones who were tried in, in the case of his murder but he was approached by uh, the two individuals at the Fireside Lounge in Laramie. Now, all three men at the time were in their early 20s. And they say that they decided to give Matthew Shepard a ride home. But that's not what happened. He uh, essentially, during the trial case... It was kind of talked about how they had robbed him, uh, took his money, and then they subsequently then drove to a remote area outside of Laramie. And that's where they proceeded to uh, beat him uh, with a pistol, and they tortured him. Uh, It was a pretty graphic scene in what they did and i just imagine um in his case being involved in this and you're you're he was tied up to this post that was in this field and there's nothing you can do there's no one around you could scream if if you were able to but no one's going to hear it and you're just having to take this beating and you don't know why and it just keeps happening and keeps happening. Um, and so they continued to, to beat him. And then 
they just left him. And they said uh, uh, the the person who ended up um, coming and finding him, uh, they were riding their bike, I believe, and they happened upon his body. And he, they said, you know, he had blood, dried blood, and they could tell that he had been crying. And so I think when I was reading all this, like it just kind of hit you if you put yourself in that place or just like imagining that whole scenario happening. And it's just a horrible, horrible thing. And to think that people are have such hate in them to do something like that. I mean, it was, it's just crazy. Yeah. So initially the cyclists thought that he was a scarecrow. So they, the, you know, police and EMS were called and the, uh, you know, I remember this part. I actually remember watching an interview with the, the person she responded that she came to him and that, uh, they were out of gloves and there's like something about the goal. Their gloves were faulty or something was wrong with them. And she, her supply was out. So she used her bare hands to help him. And, uh, and, um, yeah. And I, they was trying to, so his airways were blocked because, you know, he'd been beaten so badly and she was trying to clear an airway, which if you don't know what that means is essentially you stick your fingers in their mouth and you start trying to move things around and you know, there's blood or whatever you need to do. And, um, it was just, I mean, this is just every worst case scenario for somebody trying to help, let alone for the person that's there that's experiencing this and then um it turned out that um matthew had uh was hiv positive and that's how his family found out was through all this um and she had cuts on her hands so she had to go through a regiment of it's a 30-day treatment post exposure and um or what we would know as pep 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 post post exposure uh prophylaxis i believe is what it stands for and um she tested she did test negative after that but you have to think this just like the saga just it just started expanding and and the thing is he had been um he had been the uh she the they had found the body 15 hours um after he had been out there so essentially like he had been on that fence tied to the fence for 18 hours 18 hours in the frigid cold in October. Like this would have been torture if yeah. he if he was conscious enough to understand anything that was going on. Um it would have been it would have been just torture. Um and then the you know, cra- along with what had already happened to yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. And then the crazy thing is you have uh McKinney and Henderson who had just completed this this beating, this graphic beating, we want to say, like they they really just basically left him for dead, and there's no way that they could think anything else would be coming out of that. But they then were on their way home when they encountered two uh, young Hispanic men, and uh, they decided, oh, let's slash their tires. So they slashed the tires of these two uh, young men just for fun after they've committed this horrific crime uh then they get into a fight obviously because you're going to slash someone's tires and you don't think there's going to be a fight i don't know your thought process there but then they get into a fight and um that's when the police come 
and the police yeah. then are able to break up the fight. They find that one of them has a gun, which ultimately ends up being the gun that they use to beat Matthew Shepard. And uh, obviously police looking at the scene, they search uh, McKinney and Henderson's vehicle, the truck that they were in. And that's when they find uh, Matthew's shoes and his credit card. Um, and I guess at this point, we they have not found Matthew. This, you know, this has happened right after they beat him that they end up getting arrested. You know, you think, oh, I'm going to commit this crime or you maybe you don't think you're going, maybe it's not premeditated, but you commit the crime, but then you're going to go get yourself in another crime situation and then get arrested. I mean, just crazy craziness. It was, it was such an ugly situation because, well, I mean, for obvious reasons, um, and Matthew, we want to point out that Matthew was alive when he was found, you know, and he was then comatose and he died about six days after. Um, he was, so his officially was pronounced dead on October 12th, 1998 at 12:53 AM. And, uh, he was on life support and he was, he was not conscious when he was found and he never regained consciousness. Um, he, I mean, his mom, Judy Shepard, later indicated that, you know, as we mentioned, they found out about his HIV status at the time. And, uh, you know, he had a fractured skull. So he did suffer brain damage. And it really would be unknown that how much he would have recovered from this. And even if he had the damage done to him, could likely have been lifelong you know it would have been very possibly permanent but we don't know you know that's what we speculate on because now we would be discussing you know had he survived it he would be in his mid-40s but instead he died at 21 years old beaten and left for dead tied to a fence post which you know there are being being attacked is a terrifying thing and I think it actually can be worse being attacked and beaten and then then left to suffer tied to a post to be found. And none of us really know how conscious he was for any of this or, um, you know, because their the defense to them was that they were only intending to rob him and it wasn't that he was gay. But essentially they played the part to tr- lure him to them. And their thing was. Uh, Matthew placed his hand on one of their knees and they went into the, pan- the gay panic, essentially. Like, well, n- we don't know because, you know, how trustworthy are these statements? Th- one of their girlfriends said that it was motivated by anti-gay, but she recanted because she thought she'd only say that to, um, you know, it would help their case. Think about how messed up that is, that you think saying... Um, oh, they attacked him so viciously because he was gay. You thought that would help him. Not, I mean, if that doesn't tell you what someone thinks of gays as a citizen, as citizens, as people, then <laughs> wow, you know. <Yeah>. That, <laughs> and then you recant that, thinking, oh, well, you know what? That is pretty bad. I mean, the man died over this, and yeah, um, for sure. I, I, 
I think, again, like when I was reading about this, it was just a heartbreaking thing. And to think, you know, he was still somewhat conscious when they, they found him there tied to the post and crying and obviously in extreme pain. It just like breaks my heart every time I even think about it. It's just like a really hard case. I think like out of all of our cases, this is the one that uh, I kind of relate to the most and connect with in some ways, you know, because I am a lot smaller. So just putting myself in a situation where like I wouldn't necessarily be able to defend myself and it just like really just hits me hard and just imagining him and how scared he must have been. Um, but this is kind of the, the point, obviously we talked about how he, he died six days later. So he was in the hospital, ICU unconscious for those six days. And in, in the next episode, uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, kind of the media aspect of LGBT crimes and it's very closely tied to Matthew Shepard. So I don't want to give it completely all away, but there was that sixth week period of time that happened and that's a very important thing as far as media is concerned because you you look at how stories are picked up and we have we talked about many of these crimes and a lot of times you have a paragraph of information concerning someone and their death in this case there's story upon story upon story it was in the new york times los angeles times uh, USA Today, it was on television, all the networks, all broadcast networks. And you look like, why does this get uh, broadcast and other crimes against LGBT individuals not get crimes or not get uh, broadcast? A lot of it, as we've talked about, has to do with the fact that he's this all-American boy. But a lot of it had to do with this six-day period. So the media and newspapers and television they write stories so they are telling you the news they're trying to tell you facts but all of it is based on a storytelling mode and so this that six days allowed there to be a storytelling mode i believe that if he had died and they had found him and he had died or they found him and he died shortly after it wouldn't have not. It would not have made as big of an impact that it did. Um, and unfortunately, that six-day space of time is what allowed media to pick it up. Uh, well, I'll go into more detail when we talk about that in a, a really good episode we're going to do in the future, talking about LGBT and the media and what's involved as far as picking up stories that are with murder or crime. And we can use this. We'll, we, I think we can really use this as a, a case that people like will understand and connect and relate with as an example with it. So we don't want to be redundant either, you know, in discussing it here and discussing it there um, because we don't want to take away from, you know, this case is supposed to be like generally, I know we do talk about the media response a lot in each case, but like you were saying, you know, we want to separate it out this time. And in this case, you know, we also, a lot of us, we don't have a lot of information, you know, we, and in this case, you know, it's a little different because we're not speculating on who did it. Um, we can argue, they can argue all they want their motives, but they, as guys use themselves to lure Matthew Shepard and targeted him and beat him and left him for dead. If you're just intending to rob him, um, you know, you didn't just punch him and run, you know, this was calculated, you know, 
And then to continue on and attack somebody else, you know, I think what we're looking at is more so just uh, a little bit of, you know, like that kind of, I don't want to say white supremacist because I don't want to just throw those terms out there lightly, but they attacked a gay guy, then two young Hispanic guys. Uh, you know, I there's a pattern here, obviously. We definitely see a pattern with two guys who are just not, we're not good people. And, you know, and then the effect this would have on their their families. And, you know, it always, I when we talk about family impact, I don't like to speculate too much on that because I, I can't imagine what it would go through. Even if it happened in my family, um, every family is different. Every person is different. Everybody wants their loved one discussed in a different way. So, you know, it's like you want to, you want to acknowledge that very likely this was, you know, we've seen from the foundations that were established, many of his friends and family members, you know, did documentaries and tried to put his story out there to share and about, and really about what a wonderful person he was and how much, you know, how much they cared about him. It's just, I think it's, I find really sad that someone has to die a really awful way to share that people aren't, we aren't all equal. And that's something I think that is demonstrated with each case that, um, you know, it's, you know, we see it with each case, there's something different that's happened. And at the time, you know, we don't know about Matthew's activism per se, you know, Marsha was a very well-known public figure. You know, when we talked about Marsha, she was very known in her uh, area. People knew who she was. And, but Matthew wasn't. He was a young kid who had a, I would say, a fairly normal life for the time, you know, as a college student. Um, and, and then this, you know, it just sort of ended, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people like to turn into the whole, you know, which we discussed before, it's like, oh, they were in a rough area. You know, in one of our cases, um, uh, where they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time and she was shot and left for dead. Um, yeah. And whereas this time, this person was out at a social place and trusted to give a ride home. Um, I've never gotten a ride home from a stranger, but it's very common because LGBT community is small. LGBT plus community is small. And when you're leaving a bar or a club or something, you know, in smaller areas, you sort of trust because everybody kind of knows everybody that you look out for each other. You know, you would offer somebody a ride home versus letting them walk home with a couple drinks in them or getting in a cab with somebody they don't want to know. You know, it's like, oh, hey, we'll give you a ride home. Where do you live? You have no reason to think that somebody who is that you think is also gay. Um, You know, yeah. how many times have we been out and, you know, we see the gay cashier or the gay barista or, you know, it's like it's kind of that moment of comfort where you're like, oh, OK, they know who I am. So we have, you know, McKinney and Henderson. We know, obviously, they committed the crime. The evidence was found. They were uh, initially charged with uh, attempted murder, kidnapping and aggravated robbery there. Uh, after his death, though, obviously, those charges were upgraded from attempted murder to first degree murder. And they were both eligible at that point for the death penalty. They also had their two girlfriends. They were also charged with being accessory after the fact. So we had one of the girlfriends who was ultimately, she pled guilty to being an accessory um, to the first degree murder. And then you have 
Henderson, one of the uh, individuals who was involved in the crime, he was going to trial and then he ultimately pled guilty to murder and kidnapping charges. And in order to avoid the death penalty for him, he agreed to testify against McKinney, the other uh, man involved in the crime. So that allowed him to do two consecutive life terms. As far as uh, McKinney was concerned, he was also going to uh, have the death penalty, but uh, the they worked out an agreement, and ultimately he was sentenced also to two life terms in prison. It looks like Shepard's parents were involved in that. Yes, correct. They had... They had gone um, to the district attorney and they had worked out a a deal in which this would uh, occur. Thankfully, in this case, though, we have the two suspects and two individuals who ultimately got sentenced to the the two life sentences, which gave, I, I think, the family at least some something good came out of the situation. We have so many of these episodes we talk about where they, the families never have any resolve. Nothing ever gets resolved in these cases. And for many of them, their family isn't really even involved. But for those that do have uh, relationships, even like their friends, the cases don't get resolved. And they're always having that hanging over them you know, for the rest of their life that they never find someone to bring to justice. So luckily in this case, we were able, they were able to bring justice to these two individuals for, for such a horrific crime. But after his death, you know, I guess if you want to look at anything, there are some good things that came out of it. You have, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you have the Laramie project, which was a play. It toured around the United States and it's, toured globally around the country there's many colleges these days that put on the laramie project it's like kind of one of those uh kind of uh plays that a college usually just kind of does because it is so insightful and makes you think about who you are how you treat others um and so it continues matthew's story even till today uh encouraging campaign against bigotry no matter what it may be you also have politicians uh, at the time, Bill Clinton, and you still have uh, politicians today at times will bring up Matthew Shepard. Of course, you have the Matthew Shepard Foundation, and it funds educational programs. Uh, it helps with online communities and teens that help discuss sexual orientation, helps discuss gender issues. So if you get any silver lining out of it, you know, we obviously have the, these two things and there's a lot of things there's like other books and there's things that talk about Matthew Shepard Matthew Shepard's life so his life kind of continues living on and has changed the lives of countless LGBT individuals especially the Matthew Shepard Foundation again helping teens discuss sexual issues sexual orientation issues gender issues helping them discover who they are you know, that they don't have to be afraid and worry about what other people think, and they can truly just accept them for who they are, I think cannot be overlooked. This is a really different case. You know, um, we do cases from, you know, anywhere between last year and 30, 40 years ago. And uh, 
Um, most of them we talk about because we want to bring them to attention in the sense of, you know, maybe a lot of people hadn't heard from them other than their local communities and, you know, families. But in this case, this did touch a lot of people, but it seems Matthew Shepard's case is also part of history. And I think it's important to, you know, that we educate the rising generations when we do have cases that have information that we put it out there and we try to show that, you know, there was more to Matthew Shepard's life than just being part of a crime. You know, I think I, I read, I, I read it somewhere, but you know, that calling it a hate crime is just in this particular case, doesn't do it justice. And I, I would agree with that. Um, it's not, it wasn't just that it was a hate crime, whether, whether or not they targeted him for specifically being gay, they may have, maybe they did target him to rob him and he just happened to be gay and they lured him into his car, their car and gained his trust. But the fact is they lured a man into their car, um, to give him a ride home and earned his trust and beat him to death for really no reason there was there was no reason to attack another person no matter what and whatever defense you have that's not a defense it's it, that's <laughs> yeah exactly um you know it's it's so nonsense like it's terrible and so now we are let's see um 20 plus years later we're just over 20 years later since since he died and um people like you said early in the episode and what surprised me is people our age don't know who he is people slightly younger than us don't know who he is and so i think we don't people need to understand that a lot of these foundations and laws that we have um some of them were from people who were also LGBT or allies that said, hey, we need to protect people and other, other laws and foundations and things that happen, they happen because of an attack, a murder, a loss that provokes a response. And in this case, it was an attack that provoked a response. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know which one and why they pick up, but we're going to talk about that more on another episode where we talk about media response. And I think I'm really looking forward to your insight on that because you have more, you know, I think you have a much better insight just so you worked in the industry for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it should be very interesting and insightful. You know, it's not talked about a lot, but there kind of is a process to what stories get put on the air and what stories don't and why you pick certain stories. You know, there's thousands and thousands of local stories that happen you know, even if it's not LGBT issues or LGBT crimes, there's thousands of stories around the country that happen locally. And it's like, what stories get picked up nationally for your big broadcast networks like CBS, ABC, NBC, or your CNN? What makes them pick up this local story, you know, or this crime? Uh, it should be really interesting. I think ending this uh, episode on uh, Matthew Shepard, you know, we should just look to the point that in uh, 2009, uh, President Obama signed into law the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act, and that expanded the 1969 United States federal hate crime law, and it, will, it now includes crimes motivated by victims 
actual or perceived gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, this has been a good conversation, I think. It's been a, a tough conversation and tough for us in researching this because it's just like, it just really hits you, I think. But as always, we do encourage you to listen to older episodes of the Comicast and learn the stories of some of these forgotten cases that we talk about. Also, you can find out more about them on our website, thecomicast.com. We do encourage you to head over there as there's lots of other content. And they can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at all, all at the Comicast. We love to interact and hear from all of our listeners. Yes, and thank listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you get your podcast that helps us help others find it. And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get to the next episode. And until next time, thanks for listening. See you next time.